0: Hello and welcome to a very exciting I say this every episode, but a very exciting edition of Diminishing Returns this week. Um we are covering a film that we have touched on
1: quite briefly
0: five years ago when it was up for Best Picture at the Oscars. Yes. Alan? Yeah? It would
1: have been four years ago. It would have been the 2017 Oscars. For the year of 2016,
2: you're yeah. right. Yeah.
0: Um so yeah, we we are covering Arrival again, a real favourite film. I'm Sol. Uh, That voice you just heard is Alan. Hello. And extra special guest this week from one of my favourites, Grammar Girl's Quick and Dirty Tips uh, for Better Writing, I think is the full title. Um, Excellent podcast. Uh, We have Mignon Fogarty. Thank you. A.K.A. Grammar Girl.
2: You did. You got the whole long title right. Good job.
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah um I, i'm a big fan of uh of the grammar girl podcast this is yeah. we, we had um dr wendy walsh on from the mating matters podcast a few episodes ago and this is a similar situation where um i'm gonna try and keep my my gushing to a minute <laughs> oh,
2: thank you oh, that's fan, nice so. to hear that yeah. thank you
1: this is Sol's policy for getting guests. It's only people that he likes to <laughs> That's to. That's what it. podcasts are great for, getting
2: to talk to people you already like.
1: Uh, you are something of a linguistic expert, I, I guess. That's is that Oh, a good gosh. Well,
2: I wouldn't necessarily.
1: <laughs> people don't like putting the word expert on themselves, do they? <laughs>
2: I know. I was just going to say that. I wouldn't call myself an expert, but I'm a curious layperson. I'm not trained in linguistics, but, you know, over the years of 15 years doing the Grammar Girl podcast, I certainly read about it a lot and I admire linguists. And, and follow them on social media and try to keep up with the, the big picture of, of things that are going on in linguistics. But I'm not, I'm not a trained so I wouldn't want to claim the expert title.
1: <laughs> a linguist enthusiast. Then.
2: Exactly.
1: I think I fall into that category somewhat. I haven't studied it or anything, obviously, but uh, I, I do like the kind of pop etymology, you mm-hmm. know, like just the interesting stories behind words and, you know, how words change over time and how meanings change. I find it all very fascinating.
2: Yeah, it's just filled with wonderful, intriguing stories. Mm.
1: I, that is why I was very excited about the film Arrival when I was going to see it uh, a few years back. And I think ultimately why I was disappointed by it. We'll get into that a bit later. But mm-hmm. yeah, so we we watched this yeah back when it came out and I've just watched it again. Uh, like you guys have. So I've had a few years between to digest. So my my thoughts have changed slightly, mm, which I won't, I won't reveal too soon. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, just to refresh
0: our listeners' memory, I liked it and I think I gave it a 7 out of 10 back when we covered it for the Oscars and you mm. weren't as impressed.
1: I'm, I'm going to guess you gave no. it a
0: 5 out of 10, something like that. I gave
1: it a 5 and it was that was built through disappointment rather than right. it being a poor film so we'll, we'll see how
0: that's developed um but yeah so for anyone who hasn't seen it arrival is um it's very similar to the film contact it's it's about uh, a, a series of alien spaceships appearing uh one day on earth and it's 12 different ships that appear around the globe and each nation sort of trying to figure out the best way to um, deal with it, you know, what what to do. And and one of the ships obviously lands in America, and we follow their site where they send some linguistics experts and a, a scientist up to figure out a way to communicate, because obviously they have no reference for our earthly languages. We have no reference for their uh, interplanetary language. Um, so, it, it, yeah, it's a really interesting premise, I think, the, the
1: notion of how, how would you communicate with, well, an alien. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mignon, may I ask you, uh, you, you saw this at the time, I presume. Mm-hmm. D- did you know what you were going into, that it was a kind of languagey um, <laughs> film?
2: I did. Yeah, I watched it when it came out and then I watched it again yesterday and I think I had a similar experience to both of you. I think I liked it a little more when I saw it hmm. the first time, but there were some things that I liked more about it or that at least I understood more about it the second time I watched it too, so it's sort of good and bad right. the second time.
1: That's it. If we like just to jump straight into the, the sort of heart of this. One of the main things that kind of annoyed me about this film was it, it's obviously gone so deep into language and how people learn languages or teach languages or express things to someone in which you have no common ground and i know that there's a lot of sort of science behind what they're doing they've done the research but it's still it still gets shown as someone like writing their name on a board and then pointing at mm. themselves and personal pronouns that's not going to be a place to start like learning a language surely and it, so that sort of thing and I, I do appreciate that in a film you have to boil this stuff down to very basic elements. I think that was one of the things where I watched it the first time and it kind of annoyed me. Watching it the second time, it's like, okay, fair enough. You've got to play the game. You've got to kind of work to an audience. Mm. That is going to be coming from all sorts of different levels here. Yeah. So I think I was a bit more a bit more tolerant of that <laughs> sort of thing.
2: <laughs> yeah. I know they did consult with a linguist um, when they were um, doing the film, and a, a, an, an interesting aside, I believe that she's the one who wrote the um, symbols that are on the whiteboard in the right. in one of the scenes. though she actually wrote those, and, and and it is generally accurate in the way that you would approach. Communicating with an alien that you know you would need to first make sure everyone understands what a question is, for mm. example. Um, so, yes. and I thought they did a great job of coming up with a conceivably alien language that could still be understood. Like, like to me, it would be difficult just to come up with, okay, there's an ang- alien language. It has to be so different that we don't understand it, but still close enough that we would be able to understand it. And and I think the, the circles and the images and having it not correlated to sounds was, was a great mm. and understandable um, example of what something might be.
1: Yeah, because it's, it is like you, you cross the world and, and, and find a new land and you're trying to communicate with someone you found. At least they have a mouth. They have the same mechanics <laughs> to create sounds. Right there's there is some commonality there and you will have some similar kind of viewpoints you know like we we know what a tree is we can kind of point at a tree and go tree you know or a rock or whatever it's but this is totally alien it's alien isn't it there's a
0: there's a big discussion i I think more in the scientific community than anything, but how to mark nuclear waste sites for future generations is a real like right, issue yeah, because yeah. they yeah. they want to prep these dangerous areas for thousands and thousands of years to to the point that it might be alien life that comes upon you know earth with with no humans on it anymore or you know beings with no concept for our, our culture and society that we have now yeah, so so, you,
1: so even a picture of a person exactly. like throwing that's up it you I can't you can't do a sad
0: face because who's to say that means <laughs> sad to to a person or they might not recognize it as a face you can't do a cross you can't write the word no it's it's a really um, interesting problem that people have been developing. yeah I've seen that too yeah and, and I think this is the same thing isn't it really it's
2: yeah I was gonna say I think that's one reason that I enjoyed the movie a little bit more the first time is there was the surprise and the wonder of seeing what the new language was and the second time I'm like yeah yeah the circles okay <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: I must say I love I love that scene where uh, Amy Adams character she she plays our protagonist. I love the scene where she kind of breaks down the base sentence, what is your purpose on Earth?
2: First, we need to make sure that they understand what a question is, okay? The nature of a request for information along with the response. Then we need to clarify the difference between a specific you and a collective you. Because we don't want to know why Joe Alien is here, we want to know why they all landed. And purpose requires an understanding of intent. We need to find out, do they make conscious choices or is their motivation so instinctive that they don't understand a why question at all? And and biggest of all, we need to have enough vocabulary with them that we understand their answer.
0: I think I've spoken about it on this show before, but I'm a big fan of exposition in general. If, <laughs> if you can find a way to just kind of deal out little bits of exposition without it feeling like contrived writing, then I'll generally... Um, really go for it, and so you know, I think that's a big part of why I like this film is that it, it it's this compelling mystery. You know, what do these aliens want? Why are they here?
1: Yeah. It, it, that does work, the, the, but there is a huge exposition dump somewhere where Jeremy <laughs> Renner is just doing voiceover that is less yeah, less yeah. Uh, skilled woven into the yeah, mm-hmm. narrative. I, there's there's so much to like about this film, and, mm-hmm. and and you know, ultimately that is why I ended up giving it a low score because I was <laughs> I was so close to really liking. It. It and i was let down um but yeah let's let's actually kind of take the plot a little bit so mm. these ships these sort of uh, extraterrestrial uh, vessels suddenly arrive on Earth and just park in, in positions across the globe. There's twelve of them. Uh, it's big news, obviously. We are following Doctor Banks, who is um, some sort of linguistic doctor. She, <laughs> do we ever get a proper sort of official like what she does? She's she's lecturing when we're introduced to her, so.
2: Yeah, she's some sort of professor.
1: She's got a first in Oriental languages from Oxford, <laughs> so she's uh, she knows this stuff.
2: Oh, can I just say, as a former professor, when the students say "turn the TV on," there is no way she would have been able to like get the audio. <laughs> in real life. You can never get it to work in a classroom. Come on, I had to suspend my disbelief from the first scene.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I I do love that scene where where you know after she turns on the the TV and you just get these flashes of... It, it's not quite chaos, but you, you get the sense of, oh, something big is happening. You know, there's some yeah. airplanes flying over and people just kind of in a bit of a panic. And it, it is, I think, quite a believable portrayal of what it would be like if some alien crafts appeared mm. around the world and, you know, weren't necessarily hostile, but, you know, there'd, there'd be a
1: very uneasy sense of, well, what what's going on? What's happening?
2: Yeah,
1: it is. Yeah, I think the film as a whole comes across as a really realistic portrayal of this sort of thing. And and one of the main, certainly... towards the sort of two first two thirds of the film the main conflict is between the scientists and the army guys who are kind of like look we need to know what's happening or we're gonna nuke it and they're going well no let's let's just try and like learn and understand things
2: yeah that was all very believable <laughs> yeah and that they would just send them in send them in the first time with almost no preparation yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> but even to the point where you know the military guys or at least they're kind of their direct liaison he is trying to understand but he's like well i've got to report to someone who is he's like the go between and and getting that that path mm. of communication where it, and you can understand both sides i thought it was really nicely handled and, yeah. you, and you know the guy the guy whose name i can't remember and looks like a kind of joaquin phoenix has had a bad day <laughs> that, that guy yeah. um <laughs> he's really like he, he'll he just be very direct he's like look i don't care what you're doing because you know this is this is our position yeah i, I liked all that stuff mm. it, it really worked and i think that felt realistic as the kind of the con the the sort of respectful conflict yeah.
0: between these different authorities that's every sci-fi b movie you know ever made pretty much it's the military versus the scientists and yeah. i could give you so many examples of that but the fact that this film kind of finds a fresh (laughs) spin on that I think is really remarkable and the way it does Mm -hmm. feel very natural and and um yeah you, you completely do understand both sides and and I also love that it's kind of it's this second layer of the film being about communication you know there's a there's a superficial yeah. level of um, well not superficial but the the main level of you know trying to talk to the aliens but then there's also all this stuff about how we communicate with one another that's kind of woven in there um yeah i, I, yeah. I really and, like and, it yeah <laughs> and, wor- and
1: working with other other the other countries and all that sort of mm-hmm. thing yeah you're right the communication uh-huh. is a real thing and sharing knowledge yes, which is like the yeah. whole point really isn't it it's like sharing the, commun- the communication of knowledge
0: yeah So, this was directed by uh, Denis Villeneuve, who I'm I'm sure I'm butchering the pronunciation of his name there, but, you know, I think he's probably best known for the Blade Runner sequel that he made after this, Blade Runner Mm -hmm. 2049, you know, a very well established director at this point. I think it's a really well directed film. It's just one of these films where every little element, you know, the cinematography, the music, the acting, it it all coalesces, you know, comes together just in this to create this this vision, you know? It doesn't feel like there's a single thread that's out of place here when you watch it. Yeah. Um, and I think that goes a long way to, to sell what's, you know, ultimately quite a simple story maybe not in terms of wrapping mm. your head around but just in terms of the plot beats
1: and i think in terms of it being like how are you how do you sell this it's a sci-fi film really but it's it's so slow and there's no action it's like you really <laughs> yeah. have to um you have to sell that really well yeah. But yeah, it is, I I agree, I think as a whole package, yeah, it feels like it's a film with all its parts working towards the same goal, which you know, you don't always get. Mm. And um, the sound mix is really great, not something you hear me say very often, like (laughs) if you, normally you don't even notice that sort of thing, even if it's good, but but the sound mix is really good. There's a lot of stuff that really puts you in the place, like when they put the earphones on or they put a hood up and it and it affects the sound that you're hearing. Nice stuff like that. But yeah, I wanted to ask you, Sol, actually, was was he lined up as the Blade Runner director before this? Or was it this that kind of got him the gig?
0: It was announced after this, I believe. Um, I'm not sure if the talks were happening beforehand, but it, it, it certainly makes sense that, you know, you make a kind of thoughtful sci-fi film, relatively low budget for what it is, sci-fi film um then that kind of gets you the Blade Runner gig uh, but I don't
1: know I, is the, <laughs>
0: the the true answer there I'm not entirely sure what the yeah. timeline
1: is it's just you know there is obviously a very visual yeah. uh, similarity and, and and maybe they like <laughs> <laughs> the look of it but um so Mignon can I ask you so you were you were a university professor mm-hmm. Um, have you ever been approached by a sort of shady military figure
2: <laughs> <laughs> and whisked off
1: in a helicopter?
2: No, I know, I, but uh, I, I have been asked to do, uh, consult on legal cases about contract language, but uh, nothing nothing <laughs> is frightening as helicopters landing on my lawn in the middle of the night. <laughs>
1: that is a, that is a, a, an early scene where Forrest, Forrest Whitaker comes and basically asks uh, our principal character there to, to help out. And it is one of those, I, I like that as well, because she doesn't just go, but it is a situation where you would be like okay aliens have just landed and I'm going to be a person to try and communicate with them like you can't really let that opportunity go can you <laughs> but-
2: one thing that surprised me about both of those scenes was just the the small number of words that were used the mm. that uh, th- there wasn't a whole lot of verbal communication going on between all the characters it was it was felt very minimalist to me mm. in terms of dialogue
1: yeah yeah which i guess goes right hand in hand with our communication yeah. uh, you know theme and uh, the the forest whitaker character um, whatever his name is is a very direct person. Mm -hmm. He's like, look, I need to know this. I'm telling you this now. I've got five seconds before I leave. And that's his style. That's why he does military as well. So like that obviously comes hand in hand with that. And it it really set her up straight away as a strong character because as much as this is like an amazing opportunity, it's also totally scary and just being thrown in your (laughs) face by someone who is quite scary as well.
2: Right. And it establishes her as a rigorous researcher because, you know, she's that she knows how to do it and she's not going to do it some... Half-baked way. Yes,
1: mm. yes. And if if a man came up to you with a helicopter and just said, "Look, I, we need, I need to whisk you away," would you go? Or would, you, <laughs> would you? Would you look into that all?
2: <laughs> well, I'd make sure I had my iPhone tracking on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: they managed to use that as well as a good a way to not have many people there so it's, it's just her and the jeremy renner character who mm. is the scientist i believe is his title um i don't think we ever get a specific science that he works in because you want a team of like two thousand linguists working on this that's what you want right? <laughs>
2: yeah i was surprised that, that was one thought i had is they should they should have many many people working on this and in in later in the movie it seemed like they did in a lot of different countries but yeah i expected her to have a much bigger team
1: like i said I I think it just strikes that balance where you know you you can only have so much realism in a film in that (laughs) you've got to tell this story like this would take years and years of study with thousands of people and you know you'd get a a doctorate at the end of it because you you could write a really interesting Mm -hmm. uh, doctoral thesis on it but we we need to boil this down for a film Mm -hmm. and you know they work out this completely alien language in you know two weeks or whatever (laughs) it's supposed to be (laughs) because there's definitely a sort of time passing montage so not very clear how long it is yeah. yeah, but it's it's got to be a short enough time that the tension is continually rising. Yeah, and that yeah. Someone's going to suddenly decide to put a bomb on it and all that sort of. thing.
0: I think that's something the film does really well. Actually, is the pacing. It, it kind of you know it it's this slow boil, but you do get mm. the sense of this ticking clock. And then obviously in the in the third act, it is like oh, okay, now you know we need to move quickly. And and I, I think it's legitimately very tense at the end um, mm-hmm. when they're kind of mm. rushing around trying to save the world essentially you know prevent um the chinese government from just nuking the the spaceship they have and in, in their territory again i suppose that goes back to the direction i think it's just very well made i often talk on the show about the the grammar of, of film and film language <laughs> um <laughs> it's obviously not a a language in the in the traditional sense, but I love uh, in this film how it kind of manipulates our expectations on that front because you know up front we're presented with these uh, flashbacks or at least they appear to be flashbacks of amy adams character Hmm. uh with a daughter who we we learn as the film goes on you know is terminally ill and certainly doesn't appear to be around anymore and so you know the way it's presented you think right she had a child she went through this this horrible time and you know we're picking up with where she is now but then you know the big twist of the film is that the the alien language remaps your your mind which is you know a, a real concept they're, they're working on there which I, I suppose I'll put a pin in this and come back to it but um, mm. by learning the language which itself you kind of have to read from you know back to front
2: Like their ship or their bodies their written language has no forward or backward direction Imagine you wanted to write a sentence using two hands starting from either side You would have to know each word you wanted to use as well as how much space that it would occupy. Linguists call this Nonlinear orthography, which raises the question, is this how they think?
0: you know the big twist is that these aren't flashbacks we've been seeing throughout the film they're they're kind of memories of the future that she's beginning to pick up on because she learns this language mm. and it rewires her brain her way of thinking so that she can perceive time essentially like all of her time uh, as one
1: it is played really nicely because like you say we as film as a film audience we're used to a certain grammar of film and when you see uh you know someone having a dream or you know a flashback to the it's a flashback and then they wake up and it's like oh well that was obviously a traumatic period she keeps thinking about her daughter who's died like obviously you would be thinking about that so we get that we understand mm. it and then all of a sudden she says who's that girl <laughs> in, mm-hmm. my, in my dreams is like what <laughs> it, 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 it it's a beautiful piece of misdirection mm. cinematic misdirection yeah. and it, it yeah it, you're waiting for it to pay off for her as a character, as in, you know, all this sort of. She's had a bad, uh, something bad happen in her life, and then what, how is that? How are we going to deal with that? Is she growing as a person yeah. or whatever? And it's actually something completely different, but obviously completely keeping in theme yeah, yeah. with what we're dealing with about the non-linear concept of all this. Right. And and to present that in a linear way <laughs> is quite good actually. <laughs> because this doesn't feel complicated yeah yeah really, at absolutely. any point i i, I think it's
0: this is something I really loved on the rewatch because you know the first time round I, I was just trying to guess what was going to happen and obviously I, I had no idea where it was going but on the rewatch obviously I knew the the twist so kind of play watching it play out again it's like when you watch the sixth sense and you know the ending and you kind of go oh mm-hmm. it's so <laughs> it's so obvious
2: now yeah that was why I liked it more on the second watching too I was less confused and yeah. you can watch it um, <laughs> unfold but also the first time I was less familiar with the Sapir-Whorf hypothesis mm. than I was this. Time and it's just so fascinating because it's a it's a controversial theory in linguistics. So a long time ago, there were people who um, there was a an indigenous language where there was no word for time, and so the the link old time linguist you know decided that 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 those peoples had no concept of time that they couldn't conceive time, and that's been mm. disproven and is you know very but very controversial. But you often hear it repeated. But early but more recent studies have shown that at least in a smaller way, language does affect how your brain works, because um, the, the example you often hear is that the different languages have different words for color, and mm. some languages have mm. different words for blue and green, and others don't. And if people come from a language that has different colors for blue and green, they can sort colored swatches better according to to like by color so they can separate the blue and the green swatches better than people who don't have separate words for those two colors so it's just it was just fascinating for me to see how they portrayed this this controversial theory and you know then took it like over the top with not only does it change how Mm -hmm. you think but it changes how you perceive time itself (laughs) you know
1: (laughs) yeah I don't know if actually the words you use will actually let you see the future but um,
0: I think it's it's a kind of you Know, poetic concept i i i'm perfectly happy to go with it i think it's a really nice idea even if it's obviously mm-hmm. pushing the the boundaries of uh, reality and yeah the fact that there is that kind of basis for it with certainly in scientific theory if if not fully proven stuff but yeah it, it's I, I I really love that and and what I what I love is that it's not just it's not just as simple as that's the twist because obviously the the daughter is you know she she dies very young and it's really painful for 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 amy Adams and um her her partner who we find out is Jeremy Renner but she shes still chooses to have the child. And and I think that is the the kind of depth to this concept that kind of, you know, it it gives it more than just being a straight up bit of sci-fi. It gives it this kind of human emotional depth. (laughs) Um,
2: Yeah, it's really beautiful. I mean, life is painful.
0: I found really powerful, to be honest, on the the repeat viewing, um, you know, the, the idea that value, the value of something, and it, it's a concept that I I think of a lot, you know, I, I've been kind of pushing this idea for a while myself, but, you know, the notion that the, the value of something is not in its longevity, but the, you know, the, the time of it happening, so a relationship, for example, can end, but it doesn't mean that you wasted your time, because, you know, you had a great however much time with that other person and grew his people and so on and i I think as a as a culture we have a tendency to to view things by whether or not they last um but this film is kind of pushing away from that i think it's you know she obviously decides that it's still worth having this child that she loves and loves her back and even though it's very painful for her and that's ultimately why things don't work out with jeremy renner because he thinks the opposite but i just think it's such an interesting concept there emotionally and for those characters to to kind of explore <laughs> i was very impressed mm-hmm. on
2: them, yeah it's on really them beautiful
1: watch. yeah i think that that's very true and it, it is if you do see time as a circle or you, you know you see the whole picture at once mm. it would affect your behavior but then i don't know you get into all kinds of time paradox <laughs> shenanigans there mm-hmm. with like if you well if, if knowing the future will affect your choices yeah. then how does that affect so there's an outright
0: paradox in the in the film if you want to really get into that with, you know.
2: The Chinese general? Yeah,
0: she she's only able to yeah. phone up the Chinese government and prevent the, the bombs from going off because she's had a conversation in the future that she's remembering where the general tells her what she said on the phone and, you know, there, it's this thing where there's no there's no primary, unique source for any of this happening. It all relies on something else having already happened which can't happen and so, you know, it, it doesn't if you want to really get into it on that level, it doesn't quite add up or make sense. But I, I like that. Again, I think it just adds to the kind of poetry well, that, that... of the, the film. You know?
1: I think that's why, ultimately, I was frustrated with it the first time round. Because it was all building up to something and then the payoff was, I don't know clunky is the right word, but it it didn't quite hang together and then, you know, ultimately what our story is, all this stuff about the aliens, all the sci-fi stuff and the language, is kind of secondary to, hey, we're just telling this story about this woman's emotional Mm. kind of journey, Mm. which is okay, you know, but, and and I think that's why I appreciated it more this time around, because I kind of knew what I was expecting, but i had been built up for an hour and a half (laughs) to this kind of point of like, oh, I really want to know what's going to happen now, I'm really interested, and it kind of Doesn't nothing happens, and Mm -hmm. that's sort of the point. You know, they they just like they send their message and then fly away. But it was just it was pure frustration at yeah. the time, and so watching <laughs> it a second time, no, sort of knowing a bit more what to expect was was a lot easier. There's a there's an implication that the aliens have come to teach us.
0: In fact, is it an, is it an implication? Do they outright say it? Um, the idea that the aliens have come to teach us this language because they know that in doing so they can then rely on us in the future to do something to save them, which it comes back to this idea of a zero sum game which again i I love that scene so much there's a scene where yeah uh, one of the flashback flash forward moments where um amy adams child's trying to uh think of the the phrase for a kind of win-win uh compromise and and, like she says you know what's the word i'm trying to think of and i was racking my brain trying to think like compromise and then she (laughs) says compromise no 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 (laughs) and i couldn't think of it and then you know the second i heard zero sum solution i was like oh that's it and then she does the exact same thing and I think it's rare that a film manages to take me on the same exact journey as its protagonist <laughs> in that way where I'm putting the mm. pieces together at the exact same moment that they are and mm-hmm. it's almost an interactive experience on that on that level <laughs> yeah I, I I just I mean generally speaking I was just really impressed all around how well it held up on a repeat viewing you know I I, I liked the film a lot when I first saw it but I think I love it now. <laughs> I've used that word love a lot. <laughs> it just, it's, it's pure science fiction in that it's, you know, exploring a kind of science, hard science kind of idea and, and its implications on, on humanity and so on. But then at the same time, it has this real human story at the core of it. And, and that's, you know, that's what I like. I like a genre element to get me in the door, but then a, a strong mm. emotional backbone propping it up. And that's what this film has i think
2: sometimes i watch a a, occasionally i'll consume a piece of content a book or a movie and i won't necessarily love the experience of watching it or reading it maybe it'll feel slow or confusing or something like that Mm. but then i also know that it's gonna stick with me for a long (laughs) time and i feel like this movie is like that I, i i felt like it was very slow but i also know it's going to stick with me i'm going to remember these themes and ideas for a long time
1: mm. can i ask you mignon if you mm-hmm. if you were put in a position where you had to communicate with someone who spoke a, a completely uh, different language let's assume it's a human let's not make it too difficult
2: okay <laughs> <laughs>
1: What? where would you start where what would your uh, let's say you you know you you've you've just two people, you're in a tropical island. You've crashed together. somewhere.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I do think I would start with names first um, to establish, yeah. you know, a name, and then then I think I, the easiest thing to do would be nouns and verbs. So you'd hold up a rock and say rock. You'd mm. point to a tree and say tree. Yeah. And then, as they did in the movie, so Ian is walk. Ian walks. You know, and he's he's walking back and forth in front of the barrier. So those simple verbs that you can act out, um, I think, would be also be quite easy how you would ever explain the idea of purpose or... Uh, you know abstract ideas like courage or what you believe i, I have no idea how you would how you would establish those those meanings i i just don't know
1: in this particular case it's it's do they even have a concept of walking do they know what that is <laughs> like, do, do, they, do they do they do they have names like that that's might not be even in the, their culture
0: it did stress me out when jeremy renner decided that they should call the aliens um because there's two that they meet with and communicate Mm -hmm. with um, and they nickname them Abbott and Costello. But later on, we see the aliens using those names in in their communication with the humans. And, <laughs> and I I just thought like, oh, that's you know, if these are hostile aliens who've come here and they find out that you've named them after these two bumbling idiots, <laughs> that they might take that really badly. It might that might be what sets them over the edge and you know makes them wipe out Earth. It, it stressed me out when he decided that. I know.
2: Like, well, right. And when one got one got injured and she says I'm sorry and you know how would they even understand the concept of sorry if you know on the desert island between two humans mm. you could do that a lot of that with body language yeah. you know you're you're hunched over you're frowning but but they didn't have that body language um, to mm. share mm. between them to establish concepts like sorry although they did have um, the gestures which uh, there are linguists who specifically study gesture and when they touched the uh, barrier between them when she put a hand up and then they put a hand up that was definitely a moment of connection that was similar to to gesture Um, so that was cool
1: what, what about the actual physical manifestation of these aliens then? Always oh. a dangerous game to play, creating yeah. an alien and especially if you're going to show yeah, it quite clearly. Yeah. I was initially like, when I first saw this
0: in the cinema, I was you know, as the smoke begins to clear and you begin to see the alien I, I thought, oh no, they're showing it they're ruining it, it's <laughs> and, and then as you see it, it's like, oh wow no, they've this is a really cool unique design, and, and again I think it's really to the film's um, uh, strength that they do show it because the the design they've got is just so alien. You know, it's it's utterly mm-hmm. unlike anything really on this planet. It, it kind of looks it's a bit like a spidery thing. Um, it's like a hand walking around, but then.
1: There's... Yeah, it does have a kind of skin kind of look to it. It looks like an elephant skin. Yeah. It's not a like completely alien. I guess it's. It looks like it might be carbon yeah. based. Yeah,
0: when you but... do see the shot of the entire thing of it later on, it looks a bit like a like a squid almost, but mm-hmm. if it could bend its tentacles like fingers. It's the perfect blend of you know menacing but benevolent and malevolent at once. it's you know because you yeah. at the when they first introduce these things we don't know if they're nice or or nasty, you know good or evil. and the design is just neutral, I suppose it, it you know they could be terrifying scary things, but then they're also kind of a bit silly they they do evoke elephants, <laughs> which you know i I certainly think of as quite friendly animals uh, whether or not that's accurate i think it's
1: a kind of idea
0: a lot of us have of elephants so
1: yeah but that that is an interesting concept actually because i was thinking when i was watching this film like i said in the earlier parts the con the conflict is really all between the scientists versus the military kind of mm. style and the military are like look we don't know if they could be dangerous we might have to make quick action That's, there's a lot of truth to that whenever uh <laughs> something with greater technology suddenly turns up on the doorstep it's bad news mm. like that is that is a certainly history bears that out well yeah as as he
0: as the um character says you know he, he... Mm-hmm. he refers to um the various indigenous people being wiped out by um you know white people who went over and and found them and met yeah, them yeah
1: exactly and obviously it's not quite that simple because no matter how good your technology is you turn up on someone's doorstep and suddenly they've got diseases you've never had before so you know it does it does kind of work both ways sometimes but i think yeah ultimately you have to see this as a threat you there's no way you can't because even if they're even if they are the scout party that are benevolent that doesn't mean that's what's coming after them is going to be the same mm-hmm. these might be the explorers the scientists but once you've made contact it's like oh yeah well everyone can come now so that is obviously you know the problem, but. At no point did I feel like these guys were a threat, these aliens were a threat. Mm. It, it, I always felt like, no, the scientists think they're cool and therefore yeah. we're on the scientists' side. And mm-hmm. I think that's one thing that's slightly lacking in the film. I think yeah. just a little bit more potential of menace. Yeah, that's a fair Which point, I think is supposed to be there, but I just didn't, you know, you never felt it. Well,
0: obviously I just said about the design kind of working both ways but you know i i agree once once they start talking um and communicating in mm-hmm. in any capacity really you do kind of think oh these are these are nice friendly aliens they're they're abbot and costello they're they're fun and cuddly <laughs> I, I was sad when uh, yeah. costello went through death process or whatever the Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> but that's it. It's like what, what I mean is like you know when let's say just like Columbus turns up on you know the on a Jamaican Jamaica or whatever wherever London somewhere in the Caribbean, and you know he himself is perhaps not a major threat, mm. but it, it, you know it's 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 bringing something. But I'd be interested, Mignon, like how how much is language a part of that the the kind of colonization, I guess, because obviously one of the things that gets lost. In that is indigenous languages. But is, if language is a big part of culture, is that something that you would deliberately break if you are trying to destroy a culture?
2: Oh yes, absolutely. So there are horrible stories about um, the the current people who settled the United States and did horrible things to the indigenous tribes and one of the things they did was they took the children and I believe they put them in schools away from their parents and um, told them they couldn't speak their native languages. They really um, uh, stigmatized the indigenous languages and they were beaten if they spoke their own language and to the point where I believe you know when they went back home they didn't speak the language so um, you know early American efforts really attempted to wipe out indigenous languages of the Native Americans. It's it a long mm. horrible history that I wasn't aware of until I started doing the Grammar Girl podcast so you know there's a lot of things we just don't learn <laughs> in school It's so, amazing
1: yeah. <laughs> you keep just learning more and more about how <laughs> your culture was terrible to Yeah some, well, some that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah we're
0: British we're used to that <laughs> Yeah, so so you saying, Alan, that you think the aliens? This was part one of an a hostile takeover. They were teaching <laughs> us their language so they could force us to speak I'm, it. I'm with, just, um,
1: invo- I'm just- <laughs> <laughs> like no one ever kind of discovers a new place uh, and with hostility, it's just like, oh my god, look what's here! Oh, you have something that we want. You have <laughs> nutmeg. We want that. I'm going to kill everyone. Mm. because you won't let us have it
0: now that you mention it I I suppose it's interesting that there's unless I missed it which is very possible there's no real mention of are we trying to teach the aliens English I mean obviously they, they do with their whiteboard but the effort seems very much on learning their language rather than getting them to speak one of our languages and obviously, you know, that's that's why they've come here, to teach us their language, because it unlocks a form of time travel. But I, yeah, it's interesting, actually, that they don't really grapple with trying to get the aliens to to speak our way. But then I suppose they've come mm. here in an, an advanced craft, they kind of hold the cards.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but if they're more advanced, they'll be able to learn. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they'll learn easy, better than do.
0: <laughs> I just do. I would have liked to see Abbott and Costello sort of trying to form <laughs> words with their with tentacle I'm hands going, who's on Facebook?
2: <laughs> <laughs> writing the abc's and they're squidding
1: <laughs> yeah. yes yeah that would have been quite nice actually yeah just to see them write louise or whatever it is like they just copy it yeah. they don't really know what they're writing That'd be
0: good. <laughs> if uh, if i can throw a question your way yeah, now that alan's kind of got those out of his system mignon um <laughs> <laughs> this isn't to do with the film at all, but um, on this podcast for a while now, we've been trying to get a phrase entered into the dictionary to kind of boost our, <laughs> our figures. We we came up with uh, cinema unawareity, which we thinks a good name for the genre of uh, films like Borat and and Bruno uh, and Bad Trip that's just come out where people kind of uh, almost like prank movies that involve people who don't realise they're in a film.
1: So it's 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 where people know they're being filmed, but they don't. There is uh, they don't understand the true purpose. Yeah, and the, the, it's being mm. woven into like a in, in Borat, you know, it's, <laughs> it's not hidden camera. They they're well aware they're being filmed, but they think they're teaching him to drive.
0: So obviously, the the best way to get something into the dictionary is just to kind of get it into the public lexicon, get people actually using it. Is is there a right. is there a way to cheat the system to just kind of get it in <laughs> without doing that?
2: No, there's really not. Uh. Actually, it's interesting. Last week, for just in last week's Grammar Girl podcast, I interviewed Ralph Kais, who wrote the Hidden History of Coined Words. Right. And perhaps maybe the most surprising thing to me was, in some ways, the harder you try, the more likely you are to fail. Mm. <laughs> so, most coined words were offhand, haphazard, insults, things like that. And the people (laughs) who really try hard to coin a word almost never succeed. So I would say just, you know, go with it, be natural, be authentic, use it when, you know, but uh, if you try to put too much effort into it, it'll probably just backfire.
1: (laughs) That works to our strengths, actually, not putting effort
2: in. So this is a tiny thing, but you are much more familiar with movies and sounds than i am one thing that jumped out at me is like so much heavy breathing amy adams is constantly <laughs> breathing and like we can hear it like what do you think about that
1: i think that comes down to very specifically within this film where they're really trying to like i said with the sound mix they're trying to pull you in and you kind of you're really in the heart of it and you're feeling it you're like you're in that suit with them while they're you know yeah. in the hazmat suit and all that sort of thing
0: I, this might be complete rubbish but i i do think we're kind of primed as a species to get on edge to tense up when we hear breathing because it's such a i don't know it, it it often goes hand in hand with you know
1: if you can hear someone uh, breathing they're too close exactly to <laughs> <laughs> so I,
0: I think there's an element of that as well it kind of helps up the the tension in the film mm. but yeah it's a it's a good point actually it's very very heavy breathy film
1: <laughs> there was one there was one uh, little thing that jumped out at me and again this is about language i guess and, and communication and your expectations of language because at one point they're talking to someone else who i think is working in one of the other countries or something he's and he's saying oh yeah we 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 said something to them and they they just played things back to us uh, from an unknown source and they were like oh what did they what did they play and he said well yeah, they just play clips of conversation from the room but like, obviously, it was just saying, like, they've, they're kind of recording what they're saying and sort of playing it back to them in an attempt to communicate. But for me, I read that as clips of conversation from The Room, oh. as in the Tommy Rizzo uh, <laughs> <laughs> masterpiece. And, and that would be great if aliens turned up and they just started playing <laughs> clips from The Room. <laughs> That what was interesting
2: to, to me about that scene is it made it clear that different ships were trying different methods to communicate with the yeah. humans i thought that was interesting
1: mm. yeah and then uh, so we we find out that the chinese are uh, perhaps using a, a, a game ma yong to to try and communicate mm. and then mm-hmm. she says you know you're setting that up as a a, a, a language of competition and that's really interesting again mm-hmm. that kind of how we use language mm-hmm. affects and how we understand language affects our behavior and affects what we do.
0: Yeah, it's it's a classic thing of, um, there's no Klingon word for love, I believe, Uh, (laughs) if you get really nerdy. Um, Yeah, you're just setting yourself up to fail if you're trying to get a peaceful outcome there.
1: Uh, One one more thing as well, just obviously we've talked about the actors a lot, but we haven't quite said, like, really excellent performances all around.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah. There
0: there was a lot of... um, a lot of people complaining at the time that amy adams didn't get oscar nominated while the film did and i I remember kind of poo-pooing that at the time just because i thought she gave a a stronger performance in nocturnal animals which also came out the same year which was almost entirely snubbed at the oscars but yeah i mean that aside she, she gives a really nice kind of nuanced performance here and jeremy renner is is um good which uh, isn't something yeah, I isn't usually, usually
1: say. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if you have a crack at this, song Amy Adams has actually been Oscar nominated six times. Ooh, wow. Uh, wow. Now, this is not one of them. But do you? can you throw some names at me? Do you? Can you name the films? Well,
0: is this... Are there any trick ones in there, like singing a song in Enchanted?
1: No, they're all actors. Okay. No, no. no. Okay. <laughs> she hasn't produced a short film or anything okay, like that. <laughs> Okay, okay. Um,
0: there was The Fighter, I believe. Yes. Okay. Uh, was it called Doubt, that film about the Yeah, Catholic yeah, Church. that's one, yeah. uh, Was she nominated for American Hustle? I haven't seen it. But yes. Yeah, okay.
1: Um, Going well.
0: Yeah, I think that's the extent of knowledge there, though.
1: <laughs> so she got one for Vice. Oh, yes, of course, and yeah. yeah. another for The Master. Oh, wow, okay, yeah. Which I'm not, i don't think I've seen that. And then her first one, which I think was her breakthrough role, Junebug.
0: Oh, of course, yes. I should have got that one.
1: But yes, they're all. Uh, the American Hustle is a leading mm. role. Or the other are a supporting roles. Yeah. But here's another thing. You know, Jeremy Renner has been Oscar nominated <laughs> twice, which <laughs> really kind of dilutes the uh, <laughs> the quality of the award. If you ask me. <laughs>
0: um, well, he he was the Hurt Locker, right? The
1: Hurt Locker. Yes. That's right, yeah. Um, and then uh, the following year for The Town. Oh, The Town.
0: I always forget he's in that, yeah.
1: But yeah, great performances. I th- think Amy Adams is marvellous in this, yeah, definitely. And and like I said, sort of Forrest Whitaker just hits the perfect note mm. with that character. And the, all the supporting roles are just... Just nice and neat, like really mm-hmm. like that.
0: Yeah, as as I said uh, when we covered this last time, I gave it a seven, and you gave it a five, Alan. But mm. are you are you sticking with that five, Alan, or are you?
1: No, I have significantly pushed it up to Ooh. a seven.
0: Oh, that is significant.
1: And I, I do, I still think that the film as a whole is it kind of better than that. I, I think it's just a beautiful piece of filmmaking. But ultimately, the story just it still sort of peters out to the end for me, and it, or that kind of reveal. I don't know. It just doesn't pay off. For mm. all the build-up, still even on a second watch, but yeah, it certainly annoyed me a lot less, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is nice.
0: Well, I, I've definitely come to appreciate it a bit more than I already did, so I'm I'm upping my seven to an eight. Mm. Mm. So Mignon, yeah, what, what would you give it out of ten?
2: Yeah, I think I'd give it a seven for the reasons that that we talked about. That I didn't particularly love watching it. I speeded it up to one point two five. I felt like it was going so slowly, <laughs> but um, but but I know that I will think I will think about the ideas and themes in it probably for the rest of my life. So yes, maybe an eight because of that. You know, eight eight for the movie, six for the experience of watching it.
0: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I I do love that that uh speed up feature I, I i remember when they started rolling it out on certain streaming services there was all this backlash in the film community and petitions and people saying no watch a film as the filmmaker intended and those people don't appreciate how handy it is when you have to re-watch something for a podcast yes. <laughs> that you're me- not necessarily you know that into to, to be able to kind of yeah. just refresh your memory at, at you know 1.5 Wow! Okay, yes, that's a okay, that's it. a real um, yeah real upgrade in our in our score for this film. That's uh, <laughs> impressive. You know, it, it's the stuff that you come back to and appreciate more on the repeat viewing. I think that yeah, you know, tends to be really well made stuff. So well, I, all right. I, I have one more language question. Okay. Because our show uh, it used to be a weekly show. We recently switched to it being fortnightly. I have to keep resisting the urge to the urge to say bi weekly when saying this. Don't do it. Because does yeah, that why, mean twice why a week? does bi-weekly mean two things it's, it's nobody
2: knows what it means yeah no <laughs> I, i've done a piece on this so it, it, if you look up the dictionary definition like they both mean two different things like, nobody knows what they really mean mm. you can make arguments <laughs> about maybe what they are supposed to mean based on their etymology but people don't know so um my advice is generally don't use those words if you want to be understood they aren't okay. clear so people don't know and actually <laughs> yeah. you know uh, americans aren't going to know what fortnightly means but most of us but but <laughs> um, oh, really? it's probably a, it's a better choice than um, you, you know, biweekly or, or I, I, you know, what I tell Americans is just say what you mean every two weeks that you're going to be much more okay. <laughs> widely understood if you say it that way. Okay. If clarity is your goal, every two weeks is what you I'll, want to say. <laughs> I'll
0: make that switch for our um, international listeners then.
1: Did they, uh-huh. Do Americans not really use the word
0: Fortnite? I don't think I was aware of that. No, no I didn't no, know that. I'm quite good no. with the uh, language I mean, differences I mean, between us, but I didn't know that.
2: Yeah, we've heard it, but I don't. I, I bet only 10% of Americans could tell you what it actually means.
0: Wow. Is is this like um how autumn will turn up on like a fancy wedding invitation but it's it's fall if it's just in like general Maybe. Speech.
2: Americans definitely know what autumn means. We know autumn and fall are synonyms. Um it's it's used more widely here than than fortnightly mm. for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know why. It's a very handy word. Uh, we should use it.
0: Yeah, I I learned that back as a kid, because there was a a comic book I used to get, which um, came out fortnightly. And I I think that's how I learned that word.
2: I wonder if now younger people, I I don't know, I've never played Fortnite, the game, but I I don't know if if it's defined in the game, if it has a meaning, or if it's just that's just the name, and it's unconnected to any meaning. But maybe younger people are more likely to know what it means now. I'm not sure.
0: Well, yeah, I, I hadn't even considered it. But now that you've now that you've said that i've just realized that Fortnite's a pun because it's about building forts but maybe maybe yeah, there's maybe a kind of yeah maybe there's a sort of you know two every two week pattern in the game as well that i'm not aware of or something huh. that's uh yeah film here anything else alan or i
1: mean i have loads of language questions i could ask
0: but... <laughs> 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 oh, well m- maybe give us one to rattle off but um before <laughs> then mignon is there anything you'd like to to plug while you're here
2: Oh, no, just check out the Grammar Girl podcast. I do a weekly show, so I don't have to deal with fortnightly or bi-weekly. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and I'm on, I'm, on tw- I'm, on, I'm on Twitter and Facebook and TikTok. I just started TikTok as the real Grammar oh, wow. Girl. And I th- I think that um, I'm actually going to ask on Twitter if people who play Fortnite, if there's any uh, meaning associated with yeah. the, the time frame, I'm going to ask and see what people say. So wow. if you listen to this in the future, you can go find that tweet and see what people said
0: <laughs> amazing yeah i i i will recommend uh your podcast as well to our listeners um there's a lot of film specific stuff that comes up in there i i remember when i started listening there was an episode that you did about whether or not yoda's cadence from from star wars was oh. uh, <sighs> a legitimate dialect or not i think I, I can't quite remember but i found it very interesting
2: i love that it's one of my favorite episodes yeah yeah
0: it was it was great all right so yeah, thanks so much, Mignon, for, for joining us. Um, it's It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thank you very much.
2: My pleasure, yes.
0: And uh, before I uh, tell our listeners to um, come back in two weeks' time, Alan, do you have one more
1: very quick language question to ask? <laughs> to uh, okay, so, all right. How do you feel about the, the the most recent development in language that I'm noticing that's annoying me? <laughs> is people using of instead of have hmm. in, in like saying oh i would have done this um, yes. is that does that annoy you <laughs> <laughs> as much as it annoys me uh...
2: You know, I'm pretty chill about language after all these years. I wouldn't say it annoys me, but it is something that can make you look bad in your writing. Um, and it's something yeah. that people do bring up a lot that, you know, they, they get really upset when they see people write should of instead of should of the contraction mm. on social media or in work stuff. So, but those are contractions of should have, could have. It
1: sounds like it makes sense as long as you don't think about what the words mean <laughs> all.
2: Uh, I don't think you can probably blame text to speak anymore for those errors maybe that happens sometimes but yeah no, it's a common error and it's something i hear about a lot
1: i've always been a little bit kind of my nature is to be annoyed by it but you know i do i am very like i understand enough about language to go okay every word i speak is corrupted from something else previously that you know 200 years ago was totally different or whatever
2: and culture is such an influence i remember a couple of years ago i i did some research on what the order was if you say shoulda coulda woulda coulda woulda shoulda Uh, and I did I looked at what the order was what order was most common and I and I don't remember what the answer actually was but I remember it was the most common order was because there was a pop song that used that order so and then that was what people ended up saying so culture you know absolutely influences language in in a lot of different ways
0: I I always try and check myself when I get annoyed with this stuff just because I remember reading about a writer from the twenties, I think it was H.P. Lovecraft, uh, but they were complaining about use of the word "like" instead mm-hmm. of "as." So you know, he, he wasn't even complaining about the teenage, you know, thing of bit be- saying "like" every other word. He was complaining about saying "that looks like this" uh, instead of you know "that looks as this would," or you know, he, he felt that that was too much of a corruption of of proper language. Right. And uh, obviously, it's so commonplace. When now, you start
2: looking and, at what an- Yeah, when you start looking at what annoyed people 100 or 200 years ago, you instantly let go of all your current (laughs) annoyances because they all sound so ridiculous. My favorite example is it used to be wrong to call curtains drapes. That was considered just horrible horrible so you know uh, now who would even know so yeah once you start doing that you're like okay we're all ridiculous
1: (laughs) but nevertheless if you write of instead of have I will judge you I yeah I I will judge it (laughs) in a
0: professional email and I was I was um I checked my emails that I sent to you (laughs) to invite you on this show about 10 times over I was like I "I can't make any errors here (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, thank you so much, Mignon, um, for joining us.
2: Thank you. This was great fun. My pleasure.
0: Thank you. (laughs) And uh, yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. Come back in two weeks' time for our next episode, which is um, TBC, I believe, is it, Alan? I I don't think we've decided.
1: (laughs) Oh, that one again. We're doing that
0: again. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you. Bye.
1: Bye.